We start a new sermon series today on security. And you may think, well, that's a fascinating subject. How, how did we arrive there? Or we didn't arrive there. Pastor, how did you arrive there? Because much of what I've heard out there in the ether has to do with insecurity. Much of what is being discussed not just on the airwaves of our media, not just in social media, not just through your government, but within even our church circles has everything to do with insecurity. So as I've been praying through what vital way can we utilize the depth and the knowledge and the reward and the nourishment of Scripture to equip our people and anyone watching to navigate the very tumultuous and difficult and unprecedented times that we're going through. This is where the Lord has led me, and it's going to be a fascinating journey. Uh, you'll see in a slide here in a little bit the different ways that we're going to cover. Next week, I encourage you, make sure that you're here. We've already announced that we're doing in-person I'm very excited about next week because we're going to be talking about the security in relationships. Number one, your relationship with God, but number two, your relationships with family, with friends, in your marriages, in dating, and we're going to have some surprises about all that. We'll be covering the love chapter out of 1 Corinthians 13 next week. So I'm very excited about this series because it's practical but it's rooted in Scripture. So make sure that you have pen and paper and that you're taking notes because we're going to be moving through a lot of Scripture. Let's ask the Lord to grant His Spirit to open our eyes that we may see the truths of righteousness that can fill the need and the holes and the insecurities in our life. Let's go to prayer. Father, you are holy, you are glorious, you are wise beyond all comparison. And so we come now saying, open the eyes of our heart. Make evident to us the truths of life as revealed through your scripture. Father, work beyond my insecurities, my inabilities, so that the deepest crevices of the heart or the soul may be spoken to today. Move within each heart, illuminate through the power of your Spirit today so that we might be different, more secure in our spirit. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, this morning, let's start with a passage of Scripture uh, Psalm 40. And as we do so, um, I love this passage. And as I'm looking at the passage, it reminds me of a favorite band of mine from the 80s, the 90s, the millennia, and on and on they go. I don't know why this particular psalm was chosen as something for them to pen a song but this song ministered to me deeply during difficult times of my life. 
And this psalm has ministered to me tremendously. So, join with me as I read through a portion of this. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 this morning. And this is our theme passage throughout the entirety of this sermon series. The psalmist writes this, David writes this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, or as the NIV says, the miry clay. And he set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This is my hope during this sermon series. That many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. As we move through this, this morning, turn over to Psalm 23 as well. This is going to be one of the key passages that we look at today. And as we do so... I think about the issue of how we attend to Psalm 23. In many ways, it's a personal psalm. It's a a ministering psalm. David wrote it that way. It's an extension of the reality and the pragmatism of, of fear or insecurity, and yet speaking to, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the trial... God is there. Our shepherd is there. Even though. Even though. And I'll get to that in a moment. Let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, O Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And while that psalm is just chock full of depth and nourishment, the last statement there, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, that's the sermon title today. Spiritual security. Do you know that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? We're going to guide you through the scriptures today so that when you arrive at the end of the message, you should be able to evaluate And seek the Lord's guidance. Let his rod and his staff guide you. 
And even though there may be challenges in your life, even though you may struggle with sin on occasion or maybe every day on certain levels, even though you may not feel real spiritual in the moment, even though those challenges happen, you can still walk through the valley of the shadow of death and know that you are secure in the house of the Lord. Amen? This is why we're endeavoring to cover this issue of security. And so today, we start with spiritual security. And so I want you to focus, there, again, I'm not going to be expositing the, the 23rd Psalm. That's for nourishment. That's to set the table a uh, little bit of symbiotic relationship with the actual psalm there, with what I was saying. It, it is to preface where we're going today. But the thing that I want you to grasp the most, the concept, the idiom that I want you to hold on to the most, are those two words, even though. And let's go ahead and put that up on the screen just so we have a visual reminder. Even though. Because so much of the time, we evaluate God, we evaluate heaven, we evaluate Scripture based off of my circumstances. Lord, if you truly were all-powerful, all-loving, then why have we gone through what we have gone through? The challenges of COVID and health the horrible separation of families and the story after story after story of individuals that never were able to say goodbye because we weren't prepared. All the blame shifting that has happened because of the deaths. The economy. The racial tensions. And all of that heaped upon all those other areas that fit in that valley of the shadow of death. Even though this year has been filled with all those things, or 2020 was filled with all of those challenges, even though are there things to praise God over? Is it truly the result of God not paying attention? When my floor, when my structure, when my rock no longer feels like a rock that I'm standing on, but it feels like that miry clay, are we calling out like David? And are we able to sing a new song today because we have seen him reach out and pull us out of that miry clay? What are you standing on today? For many of us, chances are pretty good that our faith is shrunk. We've had every opportunity this year to take greater strides, leaps in our faith. Have we? Or are we feeling insecure in our faith? Are we starting to doubt where God is in the midst of all the challenges and all the shadows around us. 
even though. You know, one of the best ways to evaluate those questions, and I've got several questions here. Number one, do I value security? One of the greatest ways for us to understand who God is is to stop comparing who God is with who we are. Stop taking the evidence and the results of our own choices or my choice and shifting, blame shifting that all on God versus having an understanding of what man has created because of our choices and start looking at the idea that it is God that can pull us out of that miry clay because of his character, his goodness, his ability, his tremendous love. So let's get, let's get real, right? Let's take this idea of even though, or, or do I value security? Because if we're going to talk about it, I have to get us to think about it. So how many of you have investments how many of you have invested in GameStop this past week? Or how many of you wished you had invested in GameStop? Some of you check your phones four, five, six times a day. I've got somebody raising their phone right now. Some of us are so locked into investment, and it isn't... It isn't that investments are bad, that's, that's good. There's some biblical concepts behind all of that. But when we're looking at the idea of security, why do I need security? It's my understanding that most of us would choose a secure investment versus something that promises a lucrative return, but is based out of the Cayman Islands and some prince from Nigeria. Am I right? What about, I just did a refi on my house, what about interest rates? How many of us are the, are the individuals that go for the, uh, the variable? Because the variable rate is so much lower, it looks so good. Now there can be reasons to do that, there can be reasons to go, but I just want to encourage you, think about the dynamic of how you make your choices. And so many individuals are willing to sacrifice having more liquid cash in order that they might have more security and they might be able to lock into a particular rate for a longer period of time and not worry, not have to worry about, uh-oh, here comes year five, uh-oh, here comes year seven. Or for some of you, uh-oh, here comes month 24. What about health? You know, if ever a time in my life that health or the insecurities around health have been apparent, it's now. But if you're not sure what I'm talking about, I just encourage you to think about the dynamic of Saturday and Sunday morning radio and TV programming. If any of you have gone on to AM radio <laughs> on a Saturday, or you go to look at, at any kind of TV on a Saturday, it is health thing after health thing, elixir after elixir, uh, probiotic after probe. I don't know how many iterations you can actually legitimately make. I think we have circled back to them how many times, but they're able to sell them because we want security. We want security. There's a reason why your social media, your TV, all of your media, your um, friends, 
your mail, your brochures, your handouts at this time of year are flooded with advertisements for fitness because they know that you feel insecure about your health. I have a doctor's appointment coming up February 23rd. I don't really remember any other date that I've scheduled anything this month, but I know 11 o'clock, February 23rd, I have a doctor's appointment, and I'm not looking forward to it. But I've convinced myself, my wife said, hey, you really need to get into the doctor, you're so old now. Thanks, honey, appreciate that. Uh, you're so old now, you really need to go to the doctor. You haven't been in the doctor for like three years, four years. And I said, all right, book it like a month and a half from now. Because I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to eat right, and I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to get like a B minus. I can live with a B minus from the doctor. I'm pretty much destined for a D minus at this point. I can guarantee, even if I work really hard by the 23rd, I ain't going to make it. I am insecure about my health. That is not God's fault. That's a result of my choices. If you put Brussels sprouts in front of me, or you put a donut which one do you think I'm, I'm choosing? Which one are you choosing? God made one, man made the other. I'll let you make the choice. We're insecure about so many things. Ridiculous things. This, in 2020, we got insecure about toilet paper. I mean, if, if that isn't a comment on mankind, and... And how much security affects how we think, how we act, I don't know what is. What is spiritual security? It is this idea, and this is worthy of writing down. Spiritual security is nothing can steal your spiritual joy, peace, or place. Let me say it one more time. Spiritual security, at least for the, for the definition of our series, is that nothing can steal your spiritual joy, peace, or place. How good is your spiritual security? Well, today is going to be a great opportunity for you to examine that. I love that, that little uh, advertising motto uh, that uh, I think it's Capital One has, and over and over, and they've been running with it for probably a decade now, Right? And it's, for some of you, you've already had it come across your lips. You've already said the words. What's in your... Yeah, why didn't they go with like bank account? Why didn't they go like house? What's in your refrigerator? That would be a whole lot more fun. What's in your wallet? Spiritually, what's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? Well, my encouragement to you is that you need to hire an analyst. Right? When you have security issues, you need to hire an analyst. And so I'm going to encourage you, do not hire William Devane. Don't try to have William Devane. Let him advise you on gold and purchasing gold, but William Devane should not be your spiritual advisor. My encouragement to you is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So with that, this morning, as we start to look, how secure are we spiritually? We're going to dive into a lot of information so it reminds me a little bit of that, that idea. Let me give you a visual, if I can. Some of you have heard this story about my life. I was working construction in the early 90s down in uh, the San Fernando Valley on Ventura Boulevard, working commercial construction, and uh, I was setting walls, doing wall framing, metal wall framing. 
for a, 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 this beautiful building. It's an award-winning building on Ventura Boulevard. And, and, um, and so on a particular day, uh, I was on the roof, and we were setting walls, overhanging walls, coming down the side. And, you know, breakfast was off of a uh, food truck back in those days. And up until that moment, I think that's what actually changed the proportions of my body. Even though I was working construction, it was the food trucks of that time period in my life that have ruined my, my constitution. And so the natural process came upon me. And I'm up on the roof, and I have a choice. I can either walk all the way to the other corner of the building and walk down seven flights of stairs, or the Johnny Gump was right below me, and there was scaffolding going down the side of the building. And it wasn't uncommon for us to climb down scaffolding. Uh, you know, you had, if you had to go back and forth and you're setting walls on the outside, we would be hanging on those beams, and, and they were pretty reliable. And, and I would never make the choice to scale down the scaffold unless I had seen others do that. But because this was thick-gauge metal, and because I had seen other individuals go up and down that, I felt like it's secure enough. And so I also didn't like the idea of having to go all the way across the building, down seven flights of stairs, and go all the way back over. I was a little insecure as to whether I would actually make it to my said destination. So here I go, starting to scale down this scaffold. At floor six, I had a rude awakening. I suddenly experienced gravitational insecurity. It's a real fear, it's a real thing. And it happens when that solid rock is no longer solid. And apparently, one of the cotter pins that was holding a crossbeam in was rusty or, or faulty or who knows what. But as I grabbed and I started to descend, there was a natural pulling process, and that bar came right off. And suddenly, I found myself about 60, 65 feet in the air, free-falling, as a beautiful exhibit of insecurity. I was the poster child for insecurity. There are, there are rumors that I no longer needed at that point to use the Johnny Gump down below me. Everything had naturally taken place in a split second. But in the midst of that, I can relate to this passage out of Psalm 40. Because as I started to fall, I remember looking and seeing the ground below me just thinking, I'm not going to make it. And I don't know if I consciously thought to reach out or if the Lord literally did just like the psalmist says. But somehow, in the midst of free falling, I decided to reach out. And around floor three, I caught the next bar and stopped my perilous fall. Now, the only reason I was able to stop that perilous fall was because of the security of that next bar. But ask me if I ever attempted to scale down that. I didn't even go all the rest of the way down. I, I, I got onto the scaffold, got onto the building, and decided to walk down 
on secure footing. Brothers and sisters, we make choices all the time that create insecurities in our life that we want to blame the Lord for. But what Scripture tells us, what history tells us, and what the Spirit tells us is that He has created a secure way for your soul. Let's look at that now. Moving forward, let's start with this idea of it, it, it'll never happen to me. <laughs> it'll never happen to me. Even though, well, I just told you a story of how it did happen to me. The past couple months, I've heard story after story of other pastors who have lost it, who have failed morally or financially because they got their eyes off of the rock of their salvation and they started to walk into miry clay. I've heard of individuals who have walked away from their faith and they said, it had never happened to me. And yet there they are. The, it reminds me of the individual who penned the song, the famous song, Come Now Fount. And he knew that his heart was insecure. He needed to hear this message. He needed to be reminded that there is a way to be spiritually secure. And this morning, for anyone who's listening, you're going to hear a litmus test of Scripture that is designed to encourage us and challenge us to look at our soul today and ask the right questions. Let's get to it. Because we don't want to happen and we, we don't want us to, our, ourselves to be in this position of saying it'll never happen to me. Individuals that think in those terms usually find themselves walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and there is no rod, there is no staff. So, let me take you to this idea of secure from eternal death. Turn to Revelation 20 in your scriptures, and I have, as I move through this up on the screen, I have some highlighted area. I don't have the entire scripture that I've recommended. I just have an excerpt, and even in that excerpt, I have a highlighted area that I want us to focus on in our perusal this morning. So think about it from these terms. If I'm looking for spiritual security, how does that work in God's economy? Is this all there is? If that is the fact, then maybe I should do everything I can to make my life as secure as possible. This morning, I figured out how any other nation can simply overtake us without ever firing a shot. If they cut off our supply of caffeine, we will bow to the person who holds the caffeine key. As I went to get a coffee on my way in today, I had to drive into a parking lot, and there was a car show that literally altered my schedule by 10 minutes. And all of these individuals, not that they're putting their immense security in this, but we are driven to find things that make us feel emotionally secure. What happens when someone steals that car? What happens when suddenly Starbucks is closed on Christmas morning when they're supposed to be open and you end up driving 28 miles to find an actual Starbucks that is actually open? 
That would speak not to God's issue of security, that would speak to one's individual bad habits and choices that provide insecurity in your life. But let's look real quickly at this idea of secure from eternal death. Your soul, your spirit, this is where we must start. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 is the end of all things. And Jesus paints the picture for each soul, each person, as to what happens at the end. So pick it up with me, if you will. I'm going to do 11 through 15. And John says this, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. For some of us, our reaction to that is, what a cruel and hideous God. God is just. God is holy. God sacrificed so that that never has to happen to any individual. But that is the reality. There is hell. There is death. And there is eternity. Are you secure in your soul's destination? So under this point, security, eternal security, is very simple. Everyone According to Jesus Christ, not Pastor Jeremy. According to Jesus. And not only that, my friends, God didn't have to reveal this, but he chose to reveal it for such a moment as right now. So that each one of us can look, examine, hire that analyst to come in and examine our soul. And for us to say, I know for certain Because of Jesus Christ, my name is in that book. That's the first item that we have to address when it comes to security for our soul. John 14, 6, the next point is that Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. And so, and, and we can go, there's points on each, each of these, so go ahead and, and click through. And so, um, so as we do this, let's go to the next one. And as we do this, turn with me to John 14. So this idea of 
eternal security with my soul is so desperately important. How secure is your soul? So why is it that there is hell? Why is it that there's Hades? Why is it that there's death? It is because of sin. It is not because of God. It is because of sin. And things require a consequence or a blessing. That's how God has designed them. We see that even if you don't believe in God, you see the evidences of that all around you. It is natural to you that if someone treats you poorly, there will be a consequence to that, correct? If you treat someone poorly, there should be a consequence. If you bless someone, there is a result to that. That is a natural part. And by extension, it is simply mimicking exactly how God has set everything up. Whether you believe in God or not, that is self-evident. So as we ask this question, how secure is your soul, we have to start with the idea that it is sin that desires to steal away. Remember, uh, what is spiritual security? It is that nothing can steal your spiritual joy, peace, or place. So as we turn to John 14, Jesus himself spoke to this. I don't have to make anything up. We can see the words of Jesus Christ. And so let's look. I have listed John 10, 9, and you can go there. I'm going to start in John 14 and read verse 6. Because often what I hear when, when we speak to eternal security for your soul, how does that happen? There are many individuals who say that the Christian faith is arrogant. It is not accepting, it is not inclusive enough of others around us. There's a reason for that. My question to you is simply this. If you were offered an Audi, brand new Audi, or a Yugo, which would you choose? Just pragmatically, self-evident. Many of you are too young to even know what a Yugo is. I don't even know how to compare a current vehicle. Look it up. Google it. My best friend owned one. So I can give you real live testimony to how horribly unreliable they are. You would choose the Audi. When we look at the examination of our spiritual security and our soul, the challenge here is that there comes a criticism to the Christian faith that there is an arrogance. Brothers and sisters, I trust the individual who has succeeded. They have the right to hold the platform. And when it comes to eternal state issues, the one who has conquered sin and death, the one who has risen from the grave, and there were testimonies, over 500 testimonies easily, that attest to the fact that they saw Jesus the very Jesus, and that fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, I tend to believe him. These are his words out of verse 6. Jesus said to him, by the way, him is Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you heard that statement in and of itself alone, in a different context, you may say, well, that's a statement of arrogancy. When you hold the key to someone's benefit and nobody else does, it is a self-evident truth. And it's not an issue of arrogance, it's not an issue of humility, it's an issue of truth. Jesus is clarifying as, God's, as God, but as God the Father's messenger, Thomas, you need to trust my words because they come from the Father. The Father has given me the, the authority, and not only that, I will be the one that will secure your place in heaven because of my actions. There is no other way. Now the challenge for you and I when it comes to eternal security is do we even believe in that? Do we value eternal security? You can't move past that. So if you don't, tune out for the rest of this and just focus on that. The next part is what challenges, and we just covered it, what is the primary challenge to make us insecure about what? About our spiritual security and our eternal state. It is sin. It is the evil one. We have to go with the truth of Jesus Christ. And his proclamation was, hey, you know, all these really good sounding efforts, even temple worship has its merits. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You have to start with the good shepherd. It is he who pulls you out of the miry clay and sets your feet upon the rock. And as you move through faith, it becomes self-evident, my friends, that as you move into that faith, you start to experience in your spirit the security of moment after moment after moment where he does the impossible and pulls you out of the miry clay. And we'll get, that's another Sunday that we're going to get into that. Uh, let's go to the John 10 passage. And look real quickly. This is the prolific passage on the shepherd, the good shepherd. And the connective language here with Psalm 23 works beautifully. So listen carefully. And again, thinking about what we have on the screen, we are secure from the evil one. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. It is God who pulls us from the miry clay so we can sing a new song. And it says this. Let's pick it up. Verse 7, chapter 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus compares himself to what was called the sheep pen at the time. And the sheep pen was an area that for security, the shepherd would usher the sheep in for the night. They'd been out grazing in the pastures or along the rocky hillsides. And the shepherd's voice, and you can hear later, we'll get to it in a minute, my sheep know my voice. I watched this the second time that I, I went over to Israel. I was just by myself and, and with one other person. 
and that allowed us the freedom to kind of walk through areas that you don't on a tour. And so we're walking through the desert areas, and you will see Bedouin uh, sheep herders. And we just watched this happen. We could hear as we were walking on, on a dirt trail out in the Negev Desert, or actually the Wadi Kelt, we could hear a sheep screaming off in the distance. And so we kept looking and kept looking, and we could see it was stuck on a rock. And it was a young sheep. And all we heard was him screaming. And we're thinking, well, where are the other sheep? And we could see, you know, two or three stragglers, and they were heading in a direction. And this poor sheep was scared. He was insecure. Maybe that's us. The beauty of this story is just like we see in Psalm 23. Suddenly through the piercings of the sheep's screams, you could hear this very distinct sound. And it was the call of his shepherd. And just that sound, that consistent sound, gave that young sheep, that young ewe, the strength and confidence that he had to exhibit, that he had to practice by jumping off that secure rock to go to the shepherd that he might that night be in the safety of the sheep pen. And no thief will go through that sheep pen because they have to go through the door. And that's the picture that Christ demonstrates. I am the door. I will protect you. I will give you security. And so much of the time, we think we're standing on something that's secure, but even that young sheep knew that if he stayed there, as strong as his footing was, that if he stayed there throughout the night, he would not survive. So he listened to the shepherd. And because of that, he was able to get into the sheep pen knowing the shepherd's voice. What we know is this famous passage that he says, for the thief comes to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life to what? To the full. Spiritual security. And so as we think about this, his literal words were, will be saved. Jesus knows his sheep. Later in the passage, verses 26 through 30, Jesus talks about this is where he speaks to the idea that my sheep know my voice and no one can take them from my hands. Nobody. Let's go to the next point this morning. Proof of life. Secure because proof of life exists. John 15, 8. And you have the passage there, but I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. John 15, 8 is this beautiful passage that when we circle back around to this subject a little bit later in the series will be in John 15. But let me read this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. I say this as a test for proof of life. So if you've gotten to this point that you know that your name is in the book of life because you believe that when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except by me, you believe in that, you understand that there's consequences to sin and death. Because of that, God in his infinite grace and mercy sent Jesus that he might pay the penalty for that. And you place your faith in that, the evidence of things not seen. But the Holy Spirit, at such a right time, opens your eyes, opens your heart that you don't fully understand, but just like Thomas, you want and you desire and you have confidence and security that Jesus is who he says he is. Then you have that shepherd, and you stop making the choices to stand on insecure things. And when things get a little dangerous, and when that thief wants to come and steal, you have a good shepherd that is protecting you and brings you into the fold. It doesn't mean that you don't experience some level of danger. It just simply means that you can always be pulled out of the miry clay and have your feet set upon the rock. Because that shepherd's rod and staff guides you. If you've accomplished all those things and you know the thief has no power over you, then you are, are secure. Then your next step is proof of life. If you hire the analyst and you say, come evaluate, and the analyst looks and says, do you bear fruit? Brothers and sisters, one of the challenging things that happens from these stages all across America, all around the world, is that we simply say, say these words, and your name is written in the book of life. Jesus says, if you abide in me, your name is in the book of life. How do I know if I abide in him? Because you see him work through you in ways that you cannot do. Remember, if you do not abide in me, you can do nothing. That doesn't mean that your fruit is the same as a 20-year-old as a veteran in the faith. It doesn't mean that you don't falter. It doesn't mean that your fruit sometimes is a little withered, right? Full-blown grapes versus a raisin. But you will bear fruit. Hire an analyst. And examine and see, am I bearing fruit? Next. What about title fraud? Really, really scary stuff. We're told that all of that, you know, there's a whole new thing of, of fraud that's going on, and you got to be careful about where your signature goes out, where your information goes out, because people are coming along and just stealing your house right out from underneath you. What's fascinating is many insurance companies and security companies know that you will listen and you will react to the fear of that. And for $100 a month, they'll make sure nobody ever steals your title. I've always been convinced that there's a group of, of uh, you know, Bolsheviks that are out there operating in a tight, non-air-conditioned room that are perpetuating all of this fear, and they're getting the kickback, and their bosses are the ones that are on camera saying, I can protect you from this for just $999 annually. It's a shell game sometimes. But title fraud, when it comes to your spirit, is not a shell game. Let me demonstrate as we finish up today, Ephesians 1. So, 
Your name's in the book of life. You recognize the good shepherd. You know his voice. There is proof of life. But sometimes you just wonder because you hit a dry season. I really want you to pay attention to this. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Brothers and sisters, what God informs us here is that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we recognize and say, we believe, we don't know, but we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he died and rose again on the third day, that he's the Son of God, the accurate Son of God, then we are saved. And when that truly happens because God is part of it, and it's not just a sales pitch, but God has drawn you to him, John 4. God has drawn you to him, and irresistible grace happens, and you don't fully know, you don't fully understand, but in faith, you place your trust in Jesus Christ. This scripture says the Holy Spirit comes into you as a deposit guaranteeing your title. What a tremendous, secure rock to put your spiritual security into. This morning I encourage you, look and examine. What is it? What is it that holds me back from security when it comes to my spirit? Go through the process that we've laid out, the mapping, right? Many of us will go to a financial advisor and they'll map out how we can thrive and have security with our finances. You have just had mapped out for you a way to examine the security of your spirit, the security of your soul. 